At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Jane Foster. Hello, Jane. Hello there, Stuart. And how are you on this wonderful what is a Monday morning that we speak? <laughs> it is a Monday morning indeed, isn't it? Well, where I am, it's sort of gone overcast after some very exciting warm weather. I think we've gone back down to British April again, you know, so... Uh, this bloody wind is okay, playing hell so. with the pollen. My, the birch pollen's got me a prisoner. Um, I... Honestly, I, I suffer badly from plane tree pollen, so I'm a bit scratchy today as well, I have to admit. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel for you if you get that. <laughs> right. Not to confuse people, this isn't a medical podcast. This is a film podcast. And <laughs> what film have we come together over the satellite airwaves to talk about? Uh, we have come to talk about uh, Gracie, which is my first feature film production, uh, micro budget. I mean, extremely micro budget, scraped through. Um, do, you brief synopsis as, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what Gracie is about? Yes, indeed. I will, I will give you the log line. Um, it's 2 a.m. in the morning and 29-year-old Gracie comes onto Waterloo Bridge and she quite clearly wants to end it all. Um, but at the last moment, she, she kind of pulls back because she just hasn't got the guts to do it. And at that moment, she's standing there thinking, well, what what next? You know, I don't want to live and I don't want to die. Hell, what happens? And at that moment... A 17-year-old runs onto the bridge and she's being chased. She's in fear for her life. So here you've got one girl who doesn't want to be here and then you've got another girl who's desperate to live. And Gracie's shocked out of her, you know, her mad sort of horrible intent for killing herself. And these two girls run off into the night. Gracie takes this young girl under her wing and what they learn together over the process of the night, um, they enter into this sort of fabulistic, almost surreal world which come morning will see them fight fighting for their lives so uh yeah that that's that's basically the extended log line i think yeah cool 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 and people can see that now how they can see that on amazon prime is that in the uk or worldwide it's uk and usa oh brilliant congratulations thank you very much yeah that's so, through a very dear friend of mine who who's done a lot of horror films. So um, he he helped me with that, which is great. So yeah, I'm really pleased. So you 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 uh, this is this is a micro budget movie, yeah? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, so very much so. Let's let's as you're the writer director of it. Let's 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 start at the beginning then. Um, <laughs> what what for you as the writer was was the was the inception of the story? How did you what did what was your first kernel of uh, of, of imagination that that led you to Gracie? The first kernel that led me to Gracie was I love stories that dialogue with very intense. Um, emotions I, I feel that we live in a world that you can have everything you can do everything but instead of making that a free and marvelous place uh, I think it really can screw people up and I think that was what came out was the, the idea from Gracie came from from that that sort of emotional premise if you like mm. um, the rest of it was really me having this passionate, passionate desire to want to make a film and a feature film. Mm -hmm. I just felt that that was the way forwards. And I actually wrote Gracie fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> repented at leisure, you might say, but it was one of those projects that it sort of just went, bleh, came out. And I knew that I would have, a very, very, very small chance of, of getting a, a decent budget. So I wrote it with a micro budget in mind. Um, and as a Londoner, you, I think I knew what was available to me. I mean, it, it surprises me these days that people still think that it's expensive to shoot in the more expensive areas of London, when in actual fact, if you shoot in Westminster, where a lot of Gracie takes place, it's still pretty much free as as long as you are not putting a camera down. If you're if you're moving, as as soon as you start creating traffic cones and and Winnebago's, yes, they will charge you a fortune. But Westminster is actually free to shoot in, whereas sort of the Tower Hamlets or Ealing, where I live, yeah. is not. You know, so I used. I, I thought right, okay, Gracie, I love. I'll just Gracie is basically it, it's a surreal sort of magic real uh, urban fantasy, yeah. um, and I very much write what I call those bigger style of genres. I, I love horror, I love sci-fi, I love fantasy. Um, so it was for me the challenge in a structural sense as, as a writer and a director was was to write a story that could fit in a really a bigger story world but crunch it into a tiny budget um what's the like what's it. the appeal of that of that of magic realism then as opposed I to as opposed to realism oh gosh i just love the idea that anything is possible in this world i love um energy flows i've meditated for years mm -hmm. and i've read an awful lot about um, avatars, not the James Cameron variety, but the um, the Indian variety, where people can leave their bodies and come into their bodies at will. Um, the spiritual side of things, I think. Mm -hmm. I think, and, and, and I think, going back to what I originally said, I, I think we're living in an age where people are really grasping to believe in something greater than themselves, and 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 it's that's not necessarily religion. I mean, I'm totally not religious, but I do believe that there is a higher force in the universe called love. And I think, you know, it's it, sometimes people find that hard to tap into. And that's where I, I love messing around with different realities. I think because at the end of the day, I think we create, we all create our own reality. Um, and I think that's what Gracie is a bit of a metaphor about. 
Um, isn't isn't is I mean isn't a lot of that though about sort of with hindsight we can go there was a plan, but in the moment everything mm. everything's chaos. Of course it is. That's Gracie. You've just hit the nail on the head. That's Gracie is chaotic in yeah. that way. You know, it is, as I say, it is about that moment when, you know, there's this girl, she's driven by this really intense, negative, horrible feeling. And throughout the night, we discover why she's in, in this, this emotional state. Yeah. You know, what, what's pushed her down this path where she feels that she can't go on and then what pushes her out. And there is an element of sort of spirituality coming in there because at that point when she just wants to end it all, and she realises she can't. There's like a, a letting go in her. It's, it's like she goes, OK, fine, I can't do that. But now what? So there's a positivity. And, and, and in that space, I think this, this is a sort of a, a law, if you like, where, where where one thing changes. It's a, it's cause and effect. And out of the chaos, you, you will always something will always come along. And, and that fascinates me, the way that um, energies move and the way that what we do creates our reality. And also, yes, we do live. I, I do think we do live in a very chaotic age and we are constantly in the middle of chaos. Um, getting very deep for a Monday, isn't it? But, that, but, that, <laughs> but, but, Kate, but then I think sometimes spirituality is, is, a, is an attempt to rationalise chaos when chaos is by definition not rational. Very true. I think you're absolutely right there as well. Um, I think that looking at something bigger than us, which I suppose you you think people say that spirituality is, I think that's the whole point. You're trying to make sense or rationalise what is essentially a world that is impossible to rationalise because we're not we're not omnipresent. We're not able to know. And as you've just rightly said, you know, we always know in hindsight or we, or we have a much clearer idea. But basically, we are all in the middle of this 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 massive cosmos of chaos. Whether that's the case or not, we will never know. But I think um, a lot of people try to make sense of that. And, and I think we're living in an age where that is is even more true. Um, now, now, thankfully, screenwriters... Yeah. Yeah. Are allowed to make sense because unlike real life, a script's got to make sense in some sense or another. Um, <laughs> so for you, when you when you yeah. were, when you were writing this, quick mm. quick as you said it was, mm. what what for you in the time in the time of writing it were the the sort of big story challenges you had to overcome? The big story challenges for me were. It's actually a very simple story. Uh, I would say they were more 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 structural. Um, problems rather than story problems. I mean, the story is really, it, it's as I said, it's, it's very simple. It's how these two girls relate. But then once you get inside of that, it's, it's, it's the plot. How do they do that? And how do you do that with a minuscule budget and you stretch it over? And I think what I decided to do, I thought, well, okay, if I bookend it and I make it like a ticking clock, so it, it's till morning. You know, there is and this is defined by, as it turns out, there are people chasing this younger girl. And that is defined by how what their plans for the girls are. Um, so you get this. Um, um, sorry, that was my phone. I will just switch the noise off. Um, there we go. Um, 
so it, it's how you define those bookends and those structural moments. So, and, and, and what I did was with Gracie, I thought this is like, it's very much structured like a fable um, or like a fairy story um, in that way. So yeah, it's an incredibly simple story, but the actual structure of the screenplay is, is like a fable or a fairy story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. from, um, from balancing your writer's head with your director's head, how, mm. How do you, how do you sort of, what do you call it? Sort of test your screenplays. Then who who do you, who do you work with to uh, to help you develop the screenplay to be the best it can be when you get to film it, or do you not? I I do very much so, but I've I've found. I mean, I was very lucky in that when I was a kid, I was quite successful at writing quite early on. Mm. So I mean, I was. <laughs> I was top of my entire school in a writing um, competition, which uh, it's sort of when you, when that happens quite young, I think you become very aware of what you become quite confident. And I think confidence is sort of key when it when it's when it comes to writing, because but the trouble, as you say, with screenwriting is that you do need to test things out. And if I'm brutally honest, Gracie, if I look at it, um now yeah my writing has come on in leaps and bounds since i wrote it mm-hmm. i'm still pleased with it and i'm still incredibly proud of it because the story is there the characters are there but like i think like all of us you look back and you think well you know what I, I, and straight away after that i i got onto a masters I, I loved it enough but i knew that i wanted to aim a lot higher mm-hmm. um, and the sort of I think also if you want to write these really big story worlds and genres, which I do, I think you're very wise to take some kind of orthodox uh, training. Mm-hmm. And so I was very lucky. I, I got onto and I was fully I had a full skill set bursary. You know, I went on to Goldsmith's uh, one year master's um, uh, course, which mm-hmm. I have to say was the best thing I've ever done for my writing because it gave me even more of an idea of of how my mind works. How um, how does how does a course tap into that that wouldn't have done just with sort of gay abandon of writing and writing? <laughs> that one's a very interesting question. Um, for me, it tapped into because I think I have an, a very complicated structural mind when it comes to storytelling, and mm-hmm. I needed to be able to separate that from also go back to what I originally said about the intense emotional nature of what I try and put into my writing. And what I really loved was I remember Julian, our professor saying, he said, look, there's 10 of you on this course. And he said, he said, to be quite honest with you, he said, he said, you're all here because you're already really strong writers. It's a master's course, not a BA or a whatever. He said, but he said, he said, I couldn't really care less what you're writing about. He says, some of you are doing sci-fi, some of you are doing romantic comedies, whatever. He said, that's not the point. He said, the point is, is to master the craft of it and actually earn a living at it. And I still think, and I've also had people say to me since that if you want to break into the bigger levels of American, um, you know, Hollywood, yeah, it really helps having that qualification. And I have to say, I have found that to be the case um it you don't have to but the other thing to remember is 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 that you know um 
if you're in LA, then you can work towards it. Or if everybody's different, and, and I think that all roots into the writing and the expression of screenwriting or directing or writing novels, there's all these different ways into it. it this That was the method that for me worked. And I think it was the best thing I ever did. I wouldn't say it was for everyone. Um, well, that's, that's why I ask. I mean, it's not, it's not so much a challenge to say, prove why everyone should do it, but more, why did you benefit exactly, so much? From yeah. it? What, what, what that, was it? What was it that it did for you? For me, what it gave me was the ability to really stand back from my own work and be objective. And this is something which I think is the main challenge all writers face. Um, is to be able to really look at your work dispassionately, even though you are absolutely in love with it, and to actually know the difference between when somebody is coming at you and saying, ah, I don't like this or I don't like that when you're in development, and you know you've been there, and it is called development hell because for various reasons. Yeah, but what I think I'm trying to say is, is that you know the difference between when somebody is giving you development notes which work for the story and when they are giving you something which is their own personal take on it, which is the kiss of death to any screenplay. Um, I'm not saying that I'm right or I'm wrong. What I'm saying is, is that what I have noticed um, is that when people look at a screenplay they will all have their own subjective I like don't like take on it but you will always notice that if everybody is saying the same thing then you know that a screenplay is ready to go That's, yeah I think I think, that, I think you're right is, but yeah I was going to say but isn't it's it's more about uh, in some senses it's a lot more about asking questions than trying to provide answers I think when yeah. I think often when certainly when writers tell writers what they think they can get yeah. caught in the trap of that subjectivity thing of going, yeah. well, if I was doing a vampire movie, I, exactly. which is which is kind of, I mean, I've, I've experienced that at writers groups. It's sort of a, a, really, I, a really weird sort yeah. of dogma that appears that everyone has to tell you what film they'd write. And you go, well, you know what? Without a blank piece of paper, you've got no idea of knowing. You're reacting to no. what you've seen. And, and the, what I think the master's course, and this is why the, you know my you know julian the course leader and professor was so brilliant he said look what's julian's said, surname, about, so what's julian's, is, what's julian's yeah. surname so we can credit him <laughs> yeah, julian enrique goldsmith he was a brilliant brilliant cool. teacher <laughs> and he basically just said look it is about standing back he said this is the main enemy of good writing and you're absolutely right Stuart. you know i've been to writing groups before then and i've been to writing groups since and to be honest with you 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 always get some kind of feedback which is valid but it's so long-winded because you have to deal with other people's subjective process mm. um and i'm not saying that that's wrong or right i'm just saying that it can be counterproductive it can um, be very counterproductive because mm. because it doesn't when you're looking for um obviously when you're asking for people's opinion you're kind of looking for some steering but when all you're getting is noise, it doesn't really help. Um, <laughs> That's absolutely spot on. Yeah. But I guess I guess the one thing that I've 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 always valued in terms of screenwriting feedback is is when people ask a question rather than tell me a statement. So if if people can ask me what my intent was, yes, then we can critique how I that, succeeded or failed. See, that's, that is objectivity brilliantly put because you know I mean I've worked now with producers and. 
I mean, I've written, I've I co-wrote uh, a horror, and you know, I've got my own screenplay, and I've got a couple of other things that I've been in development with. Um, and what I've noticed is is that a really good producer will always say, "What were you trying to get with that?" And I'll say, "Well, it's da 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 da," and they'll say, "Well." If we do it this way, how does that affect that? And would that make it a better film? Yeah. What they're doing is they're putting it, I suppose, into the third person rather than just expressing an opinion, as you say, which is the is the kiss of death. That's not collaboration. That That's just people pulling and pushing to get their own point of view across. And, and I, think honest, honest, I think there's also an tendency because it's creative. Yeah. That, that there's, there's a sense that, that some people hearing critique can feel yeah. it's an attack on them when they, I've, 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 I've often qualified uh, feedback by saying this is a critique of your script, not of yeah. you. We're not trying to fix you. We're trying to fix uh -oh. the script. Yeah, but, but inevitably, and, and, and we used to say, we used to laugh, we used to sit there, and, and this is what a master's course is so good at, because we used to sit there and we used to feel like we were in an AA meeting mm. because – you, you, it does feel like that when you're interfacing with your own psychology and your own passionate story and your characters and everything else. It does feel like a personal attack. That's the point. It really does. And to learn how to stand back from that, I think, is the most singular thing that any writer can um, achieve. Um, and I, I like to say that I've done a lot of work on that and and that hopefully I've 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 that's that's really helped me as a writer and as to who I get feedback from now it tends to be from producers or from people who have read so many screenplays that they really do know what they're talking about um they've gone past that point where they're looking for something you know they're looking for what they want to see on the page now if that's the case, well, then commission somebody and tell them that that's what you want and really be a gun for hire, right mm. for that producer. Now, so think, now, in yeah. terms of you being the right director, then if that's if that's kind of part of the process of getting what's on the page right, then yeah. obviously when you swap hats and become the director, yeah, then, then then you're in a whole other world of practicalities and logistics and pragmatism to achieve mm. what's on the page to make it for the screen. So yeah. how do you balance, well, so A, how do you balance that obvious transition when you're writing, i.e. keep yeah. your imagination alive without falling foul of the director that goes, we won't be able to do that. <laughs> and, and, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and or how, how does do you, when you put the directors on, do you leave behind the trials and tribulations of writing it for what is then the best thing you can shoot? Hmm. That one, I find that sort of question quite difficult to answer because um, I work in such – this is why the Masters was so useful for me. I work in such an instinctive way, mm -hmm. and I work that way as a director. So if put it this way. If, I'm, if I know when I start writing whether the project is for me to direct, okay. Okay, it, that, that's how it works for me. Okay. If I start writing a script for somebody else, then I immediately I divorce that and I put my writer's hat on. Okay. That's that. I just I find that's the only way I can do it. I mean, I'm quite an intense. I think like a lot of filmmakers, I'm quite an intense personality, and that's the only thing I can do. And I actually really enjoy that. 
I, I like it when it's somebody else's screenplay. Uh, that they're, I mean, recently I worked very successfully. We've yet to do anything with it, um, but uh, I wrote an action um, thriller called Gunplay. And the director came to me and, you know, I mean, he paid me for it. I mean, which was brilliant. And we're still at very much at first draft stage with it. Um, but it was such a great concept, really complex idea to pull off. And which is why we're still at first draft, because, you know, it takes you a while to cobble it together. And it's got a very thin, thin story. And, and again, a very complex sort of plot structure and characters and everything. Um but I really, really enjoyed that because I could just literally say, well, I'm, I'm not going to direct this. I don't want to direct it, but I really love the story process and working with somebody else on it. So for me, all I would say is, is when I, I choose a project for me and I've got three projects, no, four projects that I'm like that with, um, one of them such a big budget, I'm going to have to reserve judgment on whether somebody will actually let me direct it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's, that comes into play when you write sci-fi. Um, but the others, I mean, Gracie, that nobody else, you know, would have really got that. That was such a fusion of writer-director. Um, and for me, directing is about storytelling rather, you know, than anything else. And I know that that's a really trite thing to say, but in reality, that's sort of what it is. I like, I like getting stories out there for people and I like telling stories and I love, love working with actors. What um, would you, what would you say would be a sort of, for those people who haven't who have seen your film yet, um, yeah. what would you say, visually speaking, was an influence on Gracie for you as the director? I would say it, it is the look of the film. It is the feel of it. It's the nighttime going into a sort of a midsummer night's dream, only not sort of bonkers world. Mm. It's the fun of it. You know, Gracie has got an irony to some of the scenes, which, you know, it, it is about rather the story, the internal story of, of the two girls and again, because it's such a zero budget, it is about their journey and everything else is like a, a mirror around that in, yeah. in, in storytelling terms. So it's not actually this is why I say it's a magic real sort of fable, because and I like the fact that you go into, as I say, this Midsummer Night's World kind of dream where, you know, darn well, it's it's when you wake up in the morning, you're going to think that was a dream. But at the time, it seems very, very real. So. And there's, there's little flashbacks in it. And so for that, and I chose, as I say, that's why I chose Super 16, um, because I don't I think that there is there's many formats in the world. But I think that only Super 16 has looks like Super 16, no matter what people do with digital and post. Mm. And I've seen it very recently. And again, I, you know, this film has, has been, you know, was after nominated and and everything. And, and, and when I looked at it and I saw it as a big screen and they said, oh, yes, well, we made it look like Super 16. And I thought, no, you bloody didn't. You know, it, it looks like mud. You know, it doesn't. Whereas Gracie, even though it's shot in a very dogma-esque way because it didn't have the money for any lights. Um, yeah, there are a lot. A lot of it is lit, and but a lot of it is not lit. Um, for, only film will hold that and you get a sort of a rawness about it and a sort of a 
a quality of Super 16 which which lends itself to fantasy, um, which you don't get in any other format. It's a know, pain, it's a painterly quality, isn't it? Because, it is. It's a buttery because it's, imper- it's imperfect, but also yeah. but also yeah. perfectly lush at the same time, which is a lush is a good word. I love that word. It's a lush look. Gracie does have a lush look. Yeah, it does. Even though it's it's zero budget and. What would what would you say is your uh, in terms of the the scenes you shot? What would you say is the uh, is is what gives you what you're most proud of or what you managed to achieve shooting in and around London? I think it is funnily enough, although they're the ones which were the the ones that I cringe the most about when I saw them offline, which is basically you know we edited on 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 low res rushes and they look very grainy. Mm. Are the actual external streets of London at night? Mm-hmm. They're the, the, it's the ones that were shot very much um, in a very, as I say, a very available light kind of way. And I think there's a there's a there's a sort of a what's so curious about it is is when I look at it now there is an unreal but very grainy real look which mm. is sort of at war but it sort of works. Um, and I always meant it to be that way because what I wanted to do was create this this other world and i think using super 16 and at night shooting in a very low light levels kind of a way has has given it that feel it's given it a feel that you are going into another world with these two girls because literally as, as as they meet on the bridge it's like bang you know okay now we're, now the story really starts to un- unfurl you know where they find out about each other and it becomes like a little road movie where they end up um and i think that this is why even though it was pain in production um post-production for all sorts of reasons because you know obviously it's 10 times easier on that budget in fact it's 100 times easier to shoot on digital why i I still completely 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 stand by that decision to shoot on super 16 for this project um it was totally the right medium for it it may surprise people i was going to say it it may surprise people to learn that you shot on film as opposed to digital because because you know the way everyone talks about the film industry is that digital has brought the cost down so we're all we're all producers we're all consumers you know there's no different yeah, yeah. no differential prosumers as we as they say <laughs> so, why, so why so why on a on, on a micro budget film did you choose to uh to, to use okay. an analog format i chose to use that format because at the time and gracie was in post for a few years because of other various reasons but at the time for the budget that I had I took a risk because I thought the camera that I can get hold of at the time was not able and that's how quickly digital has grown the camera you know I could have got a digital camera but I would have had to have paid for it Uh and got much bigger stronger format whereas at the time super 16 I could get hold of a camera for nothing so I thought right Okay, I'll take a risk because mm. for me that was it was the right format at the right time for the totally the wrong production reasons. I grant you, I took a massive risk and I paid for that. Um, and I, but having said that, I learned the hard way. Um, <laughs> Thou shalt not shoot on film <laughs> with a zero budget, <laughs> especially you know literally a year or two I think after I shot Gracie and, and, and Gracie. You know, I did some pickups, but but it's you know it's 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 been in post quite a few years, um, yeah. and it got stuck, and 
you know, it's been a long, long, long production. Um, what, 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 without, if, it, if it's not about money, what, what, you know, money being available, that is, not, yeah. what, what were the things that got it stuck in post-production then that you can talk about? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can indeed. What, what got stuck was that um, I had a post house and the lab went bankrupt, oh, which was nothing to do with me, but it, yeah, which affected my post. Mm. And then after that, um, I also lost due to, again, um, them losing money, not me. I lost my post-production uh, budget. So in the space of about a year and a half, two years, I sort of lost more or less everything, which that's the problem with film. If you then don't have the budget to come back out and scan the film, which is the most expensive part of it, you're a little bit stuffed. And then at that point, the every cinema went very quickly over to digital projectors. So and film almost became like a dirty word. And although I could have got the film scanned. As someone at Pinewood said, you know, I, was, I hiked it around for about a year trying to get some more, more money in post. And this guy said, look, he said, in any other climate, he said, you could get someone to back you for this. He said, but right now, he said, you're facing the fact that the film film has just fallen off a cliff. I am pleased, very pleased to say it's now come back, um, mm. at which it would. But at the time, he said, what you've got is deeply unfashionable. And he said, that doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong. I happen to think it's right. But he said, you're in, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. And he said also, he said, we've got massive financial issues in far as funding films is concerned. Everybody is panicking about how does distribution work. And he said, what you've got is it's not a genre, a straight genre film. Um, he said, what you've got is something which is not art house either. It's an auteur's film. And so he's, you know, you're facing an uphill struggle. And also the prices at the time, to give you an idea, I would have needed about 30K because at the time you were looking at a Northlight 2K scanner. Right. To get it done and out and all, you know, it was all still quite new technology. That's what it would have cost you. Whereas it cost considerably less. So the prices have tumbled and, and then sadly as well, I had, um, you know, I, I was looking after a, a sick boyfriend for a few years. So basically with all those things added up together and I just had to shelve it for, for two or three years, which again, it's not a problem with Gracie. Gracie's got a timeless quality about it. Um, so, and people have told me that and that's not me that said that, but it does. So that's basically why it was a whole bunch of stuff. Um, well, look, thankfully, thankfully it, it did get finished and it is available. So let's remind people how they can see Gracie. Yes, absolutely. You can see Gracie on Amazon Prime. And, and, that's, and that's UK and USA audiences can see that, yeah? That's absolutely right, yes. So. Well, yeah. look, um, thank you very much for coming on the Blitfish podcast to talk about Gracie. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Oh, yeah. 